to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the, east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. But the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant, but it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or grow it, make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? your word to us. Lord, thank you for the time you've given with Andrew and I this week, Lord, as we've looked over this book of Jonah, and particularly Jonah 4. We just pray, Lord, the words you've given, you will now speak through Andrew. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I've got less hair than Sarah, so it's easier for me to <laughs> organize this. Hopefully. Fantastic. Let's move this out of the way. Ooh. Sorry. <laughs> so, oh, that's a bit loud. <laughs> Turn me down a bit, Keith, because I'll frighten the, uh, I'll wake people up if they're wanting to have a little nod off. But anyway, so we've come to Jonah 4, and... Um, Let's just remind ourselves who Jonah was. So we, Jonah gets a mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verses uh, 23 to 25. And we read there that he was an advisor to King Jeroboam II of Israel. And uh, this is, if you think he gets um, a good write-up, well, this is what it says about him. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat. It, it says a little bit about him expanding the borders, as Jonah had advised him to. And, and these words were spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Helper. So that's who this bloke Jonah was that um, we are, we're, we've been looking at. So 
reminder, who are the Assyrians? Um, for those of you who are not uh, so familiar with all the different uh, uh, empires and uh, people groups of, uh, of the Middle East, well, they were the neighboring superpower to Israel. And actually, when Jonah was thinking about all of this that was going on, I think in his mind, it would be better for Israel if Nineveh had been destroyed. It would be better for the security of Israel. From his nationalistic Jewish point of view, it's much better if, you know, if, if, if Nineveh gets a big bomb dropped on it. Um, but that's not what happened. So where's Nineveh? Well, Nineveh is now the city of Mosul in northern Iraq on the banks of the Tigris. Anybody been there? I thought one of our uh, people who've uh, been in the military might have been there. Um, but if you, if you don't get to go there, you can see a lot of stuff from the ancient city of Nineveh at the British Museum. And there's some fantastic things um, that are from this time, from the walls of the palaces. They were probably painted in bright colors. And you're all probably thinking, um, what's in room nine? Um, I'd really like to know. Come on, Keith, make it go to the next one. Oh, hang on. It's a, it's a, here we go. This is room nine. And if you go on the British Museum website, this is a virtual tour thing. So you can, you can scroll around, move around, and you can look at the different relief sculptures and see the pictures. So anyway, so that's got that bit of curiosity out of the way. And um, sometimes when I'm doing uh, sermons, I like to see what art has to say and whether art helps us to picture what's going on. And I'm afraid Jonah chapter 4 is not very rich pickings um, in the world of art. But um, there is this picture in the, in the royal collection from um, this Dutch uh, man uh, painted in 1561, Jonah under his gourd. Um, so anyway, I'm going to leave that up. And you can, uh, if that's helpful, you can picture Jonah sat there um, looking with, with, uh, with Nineveh in the background. And he's waiting for something um, to happen. And to hang your thoughts, I've got these three um, headings, happily ever after, those people, and happy endings. So it's all a bit cryptic at the moment, but I'm hoping that it will become clear. So happily ever after. Well, Jonah 4, re if it if the Bible had happily ever after stories, it wouldn't exist. Because the happily ever after happened in chapter 3, when Nineveh repented, God um, didn't destroy them, and uh, they responded to Jonah's message. But what happens? Is, is Jonah happy about this? Is he pleased? Is he ecstatic? Is he going around telling his friends what an amazing thing had happened? Um, 
the first thing that we read is that he is angry. He is very angry. He'd just been part of this great movement of the Spirit of God. He should have been thrilled. And he had the theology to understand what was happening here. He'd even said it himself in, in verse 2. And he's, he's quoting here from Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. This is about when Moses uh, has, has the, the face of God pass before him when he's going to get um, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jonah said, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So Jonah was was showing here, right at the beginning, that he knew this stuff. He knew his theology. He knew, his, uh, he knew what God was like. He, he had the right doctrine and the right beliefs. But somehow it just didn't, it didn't come out. Um, didn't come out right in his response. He should be buzzing with what God has done here, but he isn't. He is enraged. He says he's so angry, he wants to die. We get angry when something that we treasure is threatened. Sarah's example of her favorite cuddly toy, bringing out the worst in her. But that can be expanded to other things that people treasure and people value. Jonah is angry because God forgave Nineveh rather than destroying it. God is merciful and he's gracious to Jonah. That's okay. But it's not okay to Jonah that God is merciful and gracious to those people. And that's what we're coming on to now. So what we, where we've come to uh, is Jonah. And, and jo- in Jonah's mind, Jonah had the first words that he says in chapter 1, in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I worship the God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So he was okay about telling his own people. He had this small view, this nationalistic view of who God should bless. And it didn't include those people. And so we find him here, pitched up outside the walls of, uh, of Nineveh, and he's waiting for God to come round to his way of thinking, um, which is not always the most profitable place to be. It can be easy for us, any of us, to think we're superior to those people, whoever those people are. And it's, and it's not just something that um, can happen to us, could happen to Jonah. It happened in the New Testament. Um, we can read in Acts chapter 15 about the, Jew, the Jewish converts to Christianity. They were not sure about those people who had not been circumcised, and they were the Gentile converts, they didn't know whether they, they were really, you know, they have to become really like us to be okay. And 
until that happened, they were those people. And, and uh, this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute, we read, with, with uh, the apostles. But they um, resolved that. And there are great figures in, the ch- in church's history who when you look at their lives and what they thought, there were still those people to them. Martin Luther had an amazing impact of getting the church back on track with justification by faith and, and, and sound doctrine. But he lost, he lost the plot when it came to, to the Jews. And you can read some shockingly anti-Semitic things in what he wrote about synagogues should be burned and, uh, you know, that, that Jews should be treated with, with violence. So to him, the Jews were those people. Um, George Whitfield, one of the great figures of the 18th century revival, a fantastic preacher, a man who... who had a a huge impact in this country and in North America. He founded an orphanage, uh, the Bethesda Orphanage in Georgia, and that work was supported by a slave plantation. And he argued strongly for the retention of slaves to fund his work. So to him, they were those people. You see, we can all have a blind spot to those people, even even great figures in the church's history. And it can be people that are different to us, people with a different skin color maybe, people with a different language, different attitudes, different lifestyles. I'm kind of perhaps somewhere in the middle of, um, you know, the kind of economic uh, spectrum, so it could be those people who don't have very much or those people who have lots and, you know, their lives fall apart if they can't get a private jet and they have to take a regular airplane. You know, they could be those people to us. So who are the Assyrians who don't deserve God's grace? And I think this is an important question because this can get in the way of what God wants to do in the world if we don't think God should love them and should show His grace to them. In, uh, perhaps in the past, for certain Christians, it might have been people from other denominations. Those people just don't do it right. They believe wrong things about this and that. Um, God shouldn't bless them. Um, I don't think perhaps that is as prevalent as it used to be. But what about people who are attracted to people of the same sex? To many Christian people, they are those people. And God, they would be horrified if God would bless them. What about people who are confused about their gender? That's a big issue. Are they those people? Are they the people that we would have a problem with if they came amongst us um, and... uh, and were receiving God's blessing. What about refugees? That's a hot political topic at the moment, isn't it? Um, there's, uh, 
These are definitely, refugees are definitely those people to some in our country. They're coming, they're taking our jobs, they're taking our houses, they're filling up our hospitals and our schools. They're those people. Um, we don't want them uh, here. Uh, but the Bible has a lot to say about refugees. And if you don't believe me, look into it. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it has more to say about being loving and kind to refugees than many of the other topics that people get very um, angry about. I, I thought back and uh, I remembered we had, um, just before Christmas, we had Julia Binney come and speak to us from Abbey Baptist Church in Reading. And that's a town centre church um, in, in the centre of Reading. And it had a kind of, you know, comfortably um, elderly congregation who enjoyed their cozy services, which were the same that they had always been, and they liked it that way. But in um, lockdown, there were a lot of refugees put in hotels in the town centre, and they started to um, provide food and a place to come and, and a kind of clothes exchange. And they, they made a lot of contacts with people. And I remember her saying that they had baptized four Iranians the Sunday before that she came to us. And that's amazing, but I can see some people saying it's not the same with all those people. It, we don't want those people here. And, and they have a lot of Chinese people too because there's a lot of Hong Kong people moved into the country. And many churches have had that. And you, know, and you see um, they, they change to accommodate them the notices will be put up in Chinese scripts and um, you know, there'll be other language resources for people. I wonder if there are some people in those churches who think there's too many of those people. We don't, you know, we don't... It's, people think like that. And we must guard against thinking like that ourselves. And I think that is the lesson here of Jonah chapter 4. If we think we have a special call on God's grace as white middle class people in Wilton, we are completely misunderstanding how God deals with us. We are completely misunderstanding the fact that we are all sinners who need to be forgiven. We are all um, we all come to Jesus equal because He died for us. He died for all equally. Um, and uh, we should remember that. So, we, we, we move on. He's got this plant growing up over him, which he likes. He's quite happy about the plant. The plant's giving him shade. He likes the plant. But the plant dies and he is angry. He is very angry. And in, in both cases about the God's non-destruction Nineveh and the plant, his anger comes from the same place. It's, it's about pride and it's about love for himself. It would have suited him better if God had destroyed 
Nineveh, it suited him better to have the plant. Um, and he was angry because it affected him. And the point here is that yes, love, good theology, love, sound doctrine, but don't think it's sufficient to conquer pride and generate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Good theology, Jonah knew this stuff. He knew about God's love and that it was, uh, that it, that it was boundless. Um, it doesn't stop Jonah. It doesn't keep him from bigotry and prejudice against the Assyrians. And his Jewish nationalism way of thinking was a fuel for his, for his uh, bigotry and prejudice. But he knew it. He, sa he said, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. He, he knew this stuff. This is Exodus 34 and verse 6. We know that Jesus is the only way to God. But right theology is nothing if it doesn't draw us closer to Jesus. If it doesn't give us those fruits of the Spirit in our lives. It's got to result in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We've been, we've been going through that here in this place. And these are, these are the, the, what we've been talking about is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us that produces a supernatural expression of these things. And this is what knowing the truth, having our theology right, this is what it should do in our lives. And if it doesn't, it is, it is nothing. And I wonder if you've noticed there are parallels between Jonah and the story of the prodigal son. I'm not the first person to have, have noticed this. So, Jonah is rather like the younger son who goes off and does his own thing and doesn't want to do the right thing in, in, the early, in chapters 1 and 2. Jonah is like the younger son. But in chapter 4, what we're looking at now, he's like the older brother. He's like the older brother who thinks that his younger brother doesn't deserve his, his father's un, unreserved love. The older son was outwardly obedient to his father, but inwardly resentful and resistant to God's grace, his undeserved love. So we've looked at those people. Is there a happy ending? There's an interesting thing about both Jonah 4 and the prodigal son story that we don't know how they ended. They both end unresolved. Did Jonah repent of his anger and prejudice? Did the older son repent of his jealousy? We don't know. Did they eventually celebrate God's grace to those who don't deserve it? We don't know. We don't know if there's a happy ending here. It doesn't really matter what happened all these years ago. But what does matter is how it ends 
for us. Will you rejoice when God shows His love and His grace to those people, whoever those people are for you? Will you welcome them into our church? Will you help to nurture their faith and discipleship and not be like Jonah, really wishing those people, you know, a best at, uh, away at, at arm's length and not receiving God's love. And I would, it would be terrible if this was holding back what God wants to do. The people that God wants to show His love for, He needs us to show that that real fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, and self-control. It's important that this has a happy ending for us. It's important it has a happy ending for our church. So let's take a moment to consider if in any aspect of our lives and of our, of our thinking, we are like Jonah in, in this chapter. And if we need to repent of that and ask for more of the Holy Spirit to work in us to produce His genuine fruit. Let's, let's think about that. But I want to end with a ver some verses from Romans chapter 9. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 17. For this very purpose I have raised you up, that you may demonstrate my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's what this is about. Amen.